FDBHDD is reminding Georgians to ask their doctor about alternatives to opioid pain medication. Alternatives such as over-the-counter medications and physical therapy can be used to manage pain. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thank you for being with us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, we're with you again live at 2.06 on this Wednesday afternoon. You mostly know that uh, our show is airing these days live at 9 with a, an encore performance at 2 o'clock for those of you who can't be with us in the morning. But we want to keep track of everything that's been happening in reaction to the issues that sprung up at polling places across the state yesterday. And we also want to make sure we're giving you the most current information about election returns in the key races in the state. I, I said this morning, and I'll say it again now, uh, yesterday I put out a call to a lot of you saying, hey, tell us your election stories. If you're having terrible problems at a polling place, it was hard for you to vote, please tell me your story. If, in fact, it's been an easy experience, I'd like to hear that too. And I sort of thought, well, I'll get a few notes here and there, and I'll be able to read a few people's comments and observations about what happened to them. Well, I was inundated. <laughs> there are so many people who have had stories, good and bad, they wanted to share that I will just say this. Some of you had horrendous experiences, showed up at polling places where uh, you found the machines weren't working at all, where there weren't enough provisional ballots. And others said they walked in and out in a matter of 20, 30 minutes, no problems at all. And I should also say, these notes come from you across the state. Uh, there's been a lot of focus on what happened in metro Atlanta, especially in Fulton County. But the reality is, uh, I heard from those of you out in Columbus that you ran into some problems in Savannah. So uh, while the problems seem to have been focused largely in metro Atlanta, there were issues across the state of Georgia. I will also just wrap this up by saying I think those of you who stood in line for two, three, four, and five hours up until midnight last night in some cases, pouring rain because you believed your vote matters that much, are the genuine heroes of yesterday's election, regardless of the problems that we had uh, in, in polling places. Uh, the story is about how much you care about your right to vote, and I congratulate you for that. All right, that said, uh, Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, has uh, very graciously agreed to be a part of this uh, live show that we put together at the last minute Today, Jim, I don't think, I think you were, were you an early voter? Is that right? Uh, yeah, my wife and I were early voters when we dropped, we had our absentee ballots and we dropped them off in a box. Oh, I think maybe uh, last week of May. So we were, we were, no we were problem. comfortable yesterday. Yeah. Uh, Patricia Murphy is also with us. Patricia, syndicated columnist. Uh, her most recent column I just saw on Roll Call. We're going to talk about that a little later in the show, Patricia. And of course, Patricia worked on Capitol Hill for a long time for uh, uh, Senator Max Cleland. Uh, and before that, the legendary Senator Sam Nunn. What about what was your voting experience, Patricia? So I procrastinated because that's how I operate in life. Um, I voted yesterday. I felt very fortunate. I was in and out in about half an hour. But I know that a polling place less than a mile away had three hour wait. Um, just a very uneven situation out there for Georgians. 
So that's something we ought to talk about with our special guest. I'm really delighted to be able to welcome to our show today Speaker of the Georgia House, David Ralston. Uh, Speaker Ralston, uh, it's terrific that you were able to take the time to talk with us. And and I want to, you didn't vote yesterday, did you, Mr. Speaker? Were you an absentee voter or an early voter? How did you handle your vote? I was an early voter, Bill. Uh, I voted about... Uh, Probably about the same time frame that Jim did. Uh, uh, I've been uh, obviously working at the Capitol a lot, getting ready for the uh, reconvening of the session next week. And so I uh, happened to be back home in Blue Ridge on a Friday and uh, had uh, a walk-in, walk-out experience voting. So kind of glad I had it out of the way. Yeah, I'm, I was the same. I voted early, got in and out of my DeKalb County polling place in 10 minutes, and my wife voted yesterday morning, and she, too, had an easy time at her polling place. So, again, experiences varied, as Patricia points out, uh, at polling places not necessarily very far apart. All right, Mr. Speaker, uh, you have already said that you want your House Government Affairs Committee to investigate the problems that we saw you pointed to Fulton County as one of the places where you saw significant problems, but I think you made it clear that your committee should look beyond that. Uh, tell us what you want that committee to do. What really was it finally that made you say, this is it, we've got to investigate? I think what it was was I, I got a call yesterday morning from a relative who lives in Johns Creek. Uh, she's in her 60s. She has never missed any election of any type voting since she turned 18. And she had waited for uh, about eight weeks on her absentee ballot, didn't get it. Um, And she has uh, been a little concerned about the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, was concerned about actually going to the uh, uh, polling station. And uh, so she... Uh, She missed her first election or first voting opportunity yesterday and, gosh, uh, over 40 years. And uh, uh, knowing that she's not not given to a lot of drama, as we like to say, I thought, you know, this this can't be an isolated incident. And uh, so then we started getting reports, uh, and you're you're exactly right. I mean, uh, most of the reports were coming out of Fulton, and we had reports out of DeKalb. But it wasn't just limited to those metro counties. I mean, we got reports out of rural counties in northeast Georgia, rural counties in southeast Georgia, um, and uh, literally all over the state. And and last night as I was talking to uh, people who, candidates who had been involved in uh, primaries yesterday, um, you know, I just sensed a great uh, a frustration and, and 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 concern for the whole uh, for the whole day, and so uh, it it was a culmination that led us to to do what we did yesterday. I, I want to bring uh, uh, Jim and Patricia, but but let me ask you one last question before I do. Sure. A war of words, as you well know, has developed. The Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger uh, issued a statement saying. Uh, Obviously, the first time a new voting system is used, there's going to be a learning curve, and voting in a pandemic only increases these difficulties. But every other county faced these same issues and was significantly better prepared to respond so that voters 
had every opportunity to vote, and he pointed a finger at poor work on the part of particularly Fulton, but also DeKalb. Uh, Michael Thurman, the CEO of DeKalb County, uh, called the Secretary of State, he says, failures to prepare properly for the election, an attack on the democratic process. So my question to you is this war of words goes back and forth. Um, Does it strike you that the Secretary of State's office's what seems to be a rather defensive statement, would we have been better served if they had said, boy, there were some significant problems, a lot of them in Fulton and DeKalb, but we're all determined to work together to make sure it doesn't happen again? Well, I think that's a true statement in most uh, issues that that we deal with here. And uh, look, I, I, I get uh, the unprecedented problems that uh, they were up against in that office with the pandemic and with the new machines and uh, all of that sort of thing. I mean, they, 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 uh, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not unsympathetic to some of the challenges they had. Uh, but what we had going on yesterday that I found completely unacceptable is this business of pointing fingers uh, you know, f- f- from the state to the counties and the counties back to the state. Um, and that was why I thought it was important for the, uh, for, for, to have this legislative investigation rather than to, uh, to, you know, turn the investigation over to the Secretary of State's office. And I, I, I hope that they will uh, further reflect on that and realize that that will uh, produce a more credible um, uh, outcome, uh, and uh, that was our intention. Was uh, you know we have a responsibility. I mean, you know we we appropriated money for this these new machines. Uh, we take up legislation. It seems like now every year or every other year <clears throat> to make changes in the uh, election laws of our state, and so I think we then have an obligation to make sure that some of the problems that we've experienced yesterday don't happen. And I think we do that by making sure that people have proper training, that they have the resources at the polling station that they need to do their job, uh, and that they have support uh, from uh, from not only the counties but from uh, the state in doing that job. And, and I think that... Uh, you know, you know this mutual finger pointing, as I called it yesterday, uh, really accomplishes nothing at the end of the day. Mr. Speaker, if I could jump in here, sure. Uh, what people are truly worried about now is what this pretends for for November, when turnout is going to be far heavier than this. Uh, is there anything that you you folks can do in the next in the eleven days that the legislature has left? Because there's a Senate bill. Uh, sitting in your chamber there, uh, that that uh, that that uh, that uh, uh, the the Senate sent over sent over uh, just before the, uh, they adjourned with the uh, uh, recess with the pandemic, uh, and and the se- secondly is we've also I mean this is this this election was conducted under under, under kind of under the shadow of a, a a a massive federal lawsuit that Fair Fight Action has filed. Can can you accomplish those? those changes in that kind of legal climate? Well, I think that we, uh, um, I think the legislature is, is, is really the proper place to resolve these. 
Uh, I, I don't, uh, and as a lawyer, this is kind of a, I guess, an unusual statement to make. But you know, I I, I would really hate to see the courts, <clears throat> um, you know, get bogged down with with all of these, uh, all of this litigation. It takes time to go through the courts, uh, and and so I don't know that we'd get a resolution any sooner. To to answer your question directly. You know, we're going to look at that bill. We can look at some other things. But let me point out to you, as, as and I think you and I have talked about this, we got 11 days left. We're going to be operating in a, uh, in a climate here at the Capitol with procedures and protocols that are not going to lend themselves to a fast-paced finish to the session. It's going to plod rather than than jog. Uh, it, it's going to uh, uh, it's going to take some time to do things. We've got we got a budget we have to pass. I mean that's the one thing that we have to get done. Uh, we have another little bill that I'm interested in that that I think we have to absolutely get done. Um, and then to the extent that we have time to take up some other matters, uh, then then. Uh, we will uh, uh, certainly look at that. But I think, um, uh, you know, and I know this <clears throat> doesn't solve a whole lot of things for November, but I think it's important to have uh, this committee look at these things and, uh, first of all, identify the problems and identify then what the cause of the problems might have been, uh, whether it was a breakdown in training, communication, uh uh, a poor allocation of resources, whatever it might have been, so that we can begin to to to, to fix those problems uh, going forward. Mr. Speaker, uh, we heard from a lot of listeners yesterday and throughout the evening. Um, just who is in charge of elections in Georgia? Where does the buck stop? Is it really 159 county registrars or? Who can we look to to make sure that this problem is solved before November? Well, I think technically it is the registrars. I think that uh, historically and legally the uh, the law has vested uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, the authority to administer these things to uh, the, the counties um, uh, under the supervision and guidance and help of the Secretary of State's office. So should it be – do you think that needs to change? Should it not be 159 people? Should it be or consolidated? You, yes, sir. Are, are you comfortable with that situation I, now? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable having a discussion about looking at another way. Uh, but, but, but bear in mind that, uh, you know, those 159 counties, as you know, are very, very diverse. Um, and you know we we were monitoring a county in rural southeast Georgia in a house primary last night that was prepared at by 8:30 or 9 p.m. They had everything counted. Uh, had we not had people on the ground there uh, reporting to us on the returns, we wouldn't have known. We, might, might, we still might not know what the returns are. Uh, so, um, um, uh, you know, the, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable having a discussion about uh, where the proper authority is, but 
but we have to have that within the context of the uh, of the diversity of the state. Um, Mr. Speaker, you know as well as anybody that Georgia was back in the national headlines overnight and again today. Um, Now, I grant you, I know that uh, quite often your attitude about the national media is, I don't, they don't bother me. I've got other things to attend to. Nevertheless, once again, the words vote. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Once again, the word, yeah. Once again, the words voter suppression are being applied to the state of Georgia. And, uh, and there are those who are reporting this story as and, and Fair Fight Action is concerned about this as well as our other voter integrity groups, suggesting that there is a pattern here which uh, has uh, uh, is based on discrimination against minority voters. Now, I will say on this morning's Political Rewind, our entire panel of political scientists said that the pattern they saw suggested that there certainly was no attempt to target any given group, that this seemed to cut a wide swath beyond that. And yet, Mr. Speaker, once again, George is in the spotlight as a state that suppresses voters. Well, I think that shows a lack of understanding by the national media, with all due respect. Uh, You know, first of all, this was a primary. This was Democrats voting in a Democratic primary and Republicans voting in a Republican primary. Uh, I I, I don't know what would have been the rationale for so-called voter suppression, which I'm I, I, I get different definitions for, uh, but it, I think it's used more as a catch-all on, on, on many, many different things. But, you know, the, 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 the incident I described about the North Fulton resident, that, you know, that's not voter suppression. That's voter frustration. And so I think there was a lot of voter frustration yesterday uh, and, and, and not so much voter uh, or not. I've not gotten any reports of any sort of conduct, uh, any activities that would suggest to me that there was voter suppression yesterday with all of the problems that we did have. Um, uh, And I don't know what the the, the rationale would have been uh, in a primary. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Mr. Mr. Speaker, if I could uh, change gears here. Uh, and let's let's talk about House Bill 426. This is mm-hmm. the hate crimes measure that that you're backing that 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 uh, Chuck Estration has 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 pushed. The House passed it in 2019. It's now before the Senate. Uh, I I got a little movement out of uh, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan's office last week when he 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 finally he he conceded that he wants to see a bill finished this week, and and uh, I mean the, in, in the eleven days left to you folks, uh, and just before just before we went on air, I, I got a call from from uh, from from your friend Calvin Smyrie, who told me that Duncan had just had also called him today. Uh, to 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 kind of uh, uh, to to uh, I think it was an effort to to persuade him that <laughs> he wanted to push for changes, but he didn't want to he didn't want to kill the bill uh, by perfecting it. If if you understand what what do you what do you think is I mean is 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 there time to 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 I know you have called for a, a passage without with no amendments and no delay. If the Senate amends it or, 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 or tries to, to, to perfect it, uh, is there time? It's going to make it tough. Um, again, I go back to uh, 
the uh, uh, the, the the logistics we're going to be operating under. Uh, it, it, it's going to be very, very tough. And Jim, you know, you guys have covered the General Assembly for many, many years. Uh, you know, how many times have you heard a representative or a senator in the well uh, acknowledge that a bill may not be perfect, but say, you know, look, let's pass it, uh, get it signed. If we have problems uh, in, in, in its uh, implementation, we'll come back and revisit it again next year and fix them. Uh, so, uh, you know, I have not heard, um, I, I'm not sure what the concerns of the Senate are. I keep hearing kind of different things. Um, you know, they've had the bill 15 months, um, and, um, uh, you know, we've been talking about this uh, going to be an issue since early May. And here we are now coming up on mid-June, um, and we're still kind of feeling our way through it a little bit. Um, I think that, you know, I still believe the best course for this state, for, for Georgia, for Glenn County, is to pass this bill. Um, and then if somebody on the Senate side wants to bring amendments uh uh, or, 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 or bring tweaks to it next session, I'll put them up in the well early in the session. You know, we'll take them up and, let them, and mm -hmm. we'll debate them and we'll vet them, which is mm -hmm. more than they have done to this bill. You know, uh, um, I'm a little puzzled about the amendments when uh, I find out that I think the Senate Judiciary Committee is meeting today, and that's the bill, that's the committee the bill is in. This bill's not on the agenda, so that would be an excellent opportunity, it would seem to me, to roll it out and talk about amendments and, you know, uh, let's 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 sort of frame the issues. Uh, but um, you know, it's going to take more than lip service. It's going to take somebody stepping up and saying, you know, look, this is the right thing to do for Georgia right now, uh, and we need to pass it. Uh, and, um, you know, that's, that's, that's where I am. And Mr. Speaker, you said it would send the right message to Glenn County to pass this bill. What specifically would that message be? What message do you want to send? Well, now let me, let me go back. If I said that, I, I, I misstated what I have and been saying. And I hope saying. I didn't misstate that. Go ahead. Well, no, no, and, and I may well have done that, but what I have been saying is I do not want to see the, uh, image of the state of Georgia or of Glenn County tarnished by the failure to pass this bill. I th and, and I think this bill would help uh, um, take that kind of blot off of us. Uh, you know, the people of Glenn County are good, good people. Uh, and, 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 you know, they have, uh, I, I know that the, I've talked with many of them. I was down there a couple of weeks ago, and the glare of this case has been very hurtful, and they have rallied together. Uh, this hasn't gotten a, a, enough coverage, I don't think, but, um, you know, the I talked to leaders uh, in both parties that were, you know, kept telling me how just amazing it was to see, um, you know, African Americans and whites joining together, you know, at church meetings, at community meetings, uh, in public uh, discussions, 
they are trying to work through this, and I want to. I think passing this bill would help them, frankly. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I, I, we promised we'd let you go, and uh, and so I want to do that in just a moment. But if you will bear with me, one final question. Um, you uh, made a statement uh, a couple weeks or so ago that I think you kind of pulled back from a bit. You you expressed some concern that that uh, broader absentee balloting would tend to favor Democrats. You were concerned that that could happen. As I said, I think you backed away a little bit from that. But more to the point now, given what we experienced at in-person voting locations yesterday, do you now believe that, in fact, perhaps the state should be much more aggressive in trying to encourage people to vote absentee, whether it's in the runoff in August or in the general election in November? Well, I'm not sure that I am, Bill, and because I, I can give you anecdotal evidence. I mean, I I was sitting in my office in Blue Ridge about uh, three or four weeks ago, and a young lady walks in and says, I need to ask uh, the speaker a question. And so, uh, you know, people come in to see me off the street, and that's fine. I'm always happy to see them. And so what she had was a ballot in an envelope with her name on it, I'm sorry, with her address on it and the name of someone else that she had ne- did not know and had never heard of. Um, and uh, she says, what am I supposed to do with this? I said, well, you know, take it to the elections office and, and let them advise you about what to do with it. But you know what she could have done with it? And nobody ever would have known. She could have voted it. And who would have known? So... I think there is still great potential for um, uh, abuse and uh, and fraud, even uh, use that word uh, in this. Uh, not to mention the fact that I think that we weren't uh, sufficiently prepared for a quote mail-in election, close quote, uh, uh, this year. Uh, so um, you know, you can um, um, there there just. But the problems yesterday don't take away that I think some of the problems I've been concerned about about wide-scale uh, mail-in voting. So it's more about fraud. It's not. Did I misstate that? It's not about you think Democrats will have an advantage. Oh, it no. has more to do with fra- your yes. concerns about fraud. Fraud, okay. absolutely. Okay. I thank you for uh, uh, expressing that for us. It's going to be interesting to see how that moves forward. Speaker of the House, David Rawson, you're getting set for a session that starts on Monday. I know you have a lot on your plate, so we are very grateful to you for taking as much time as you did today to help talk with our listeners about uh, some of these very important issues in Georgia. Thank you so much, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Bill. All right, let's do this. Let's get a break out of the way. And when we come back, you know what we're going to do? We're going to talk about what we normally talk about the day after an election. The results of the election. This is Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
I want to take just a moment before we return to our conversation uh, to make this statement. Um, If you're a regular listener to GPB Radio, then you know that yesterday we began our spring pledge drive. Normally that drive would have happened in April. Uh, We put it off because of the pandemic. Uh, And because, among other things, we thought it was really important that we were available to bring you as much news uh, about what was happening in our state, in the country, for the months the pandemic has been rampant. And uh, typically, public uh, uh, political rewind yesterday and today would have been part of that pledge drive. You would have been hearing from our folks who were asking you to give. Uh, GPB manager said, no, the election is really important. We don't want to cut the show short uh, for the pledge drive. We don't want to talk about premium gifts and all of that sort of thing. We want you all out there to hear what's going on with the elections. All right. That said, having done a full show yesterday and today, I am suggesting to you that this is a great opportunity for you to help us. Um, We're way behind. Uh, because of a variety of circumstances. Our fiscal year closes at the end of June. Uh, If you love Political Rewind and have not been a donor, uh, I would ask that you consider right now whether, in fact, you can help this show uh, continue to move forward. Uh, Just go to gpb.org, and you'll see right on the front homepage an opportunity to give to GPB Radio. That's it. Nothing more about that, but... Thank you if you already support us. Think about supporting us if you don't. Jim Galloway, Patricia Murphy are with me. Let's talk election returns. I suppose, Jim, the the best race to start with is the premier statewide race, which is the John Ossoff, Sarah Amico, Teresa Tomlinson race for the Democratic nomination to oppose David Perdue. At this hour, Asaf's still kind of hovering close to 50 percent, but to the best of my knowledge, he's still under it, isn't he? Yeah, uh, in the 48.6 percent range uh, with with Tomlinson at you know 14.8 and Amico close behind her. So so let me let me make this caveat before we uh, and this applies to pretty much every contest that we're going to be talking about is there are tens of thousands of ballots yet out there that have not been ca- uh, 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 counted yet. Uh, 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 the AJC's Tyler Estep, uh, about just at about one o'clock, he tweeted out something from the, from uh, quoting the, the the chairman of the the Gwinnett County uh, Elections Board, saying that there were 130,000 to 140,000 absentee ballots yet to be counted there, and you can and, and there, you, there are tens of thousands in Cobb, and I know there's a lot in Fulton. So 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 all of this is kind of. It, you know we're used to, we're used to 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 knowing by this time by this time but generally by this time we uh, in normal election years we know what's going on we don't know that this we we don't know this time yeah patricia typically we look at the areas where votes are still outstanding in terms of polling places and say oh well that's probably so and so's precinct to win uh, and that probably means that person has an insurmountable lead but we know nothing about these absentee ballots We don't know anything except there are a whole lot of them. The other challenge for me as somebody who covers politics is that leading up to an election day, we would have been out on the campaign trail with these candidates. We would have been with canvassers. We would have been able to gauge much better how much support is out there for these candidates. Um, What kind of response are they getting? Are there big crowds? Are there not? Um, And so we just don't 
No, it is the first time I've ever just felt this way. You know, it's just like, I don't have a hunch. Just tell me when it's over, you know, tell me when you've got them counted. Um, and for Ossoff, he, he certainly looks, uh, he's obviously leading by a huge margin. He just needs to squeak over 50% plus one to avoid a runoff. Um, it's, runoffs are expensive. They require a lot more time, energy, effort. Um, he'd really like to just turn around and start running against David Perdue immediately if he could get past uh, past today without a runoff. So I, I think, Jim, and again, we don't have the benefit of knowing this for certain, but I think it's probably fair to assume that there's a huge percentage of those uh, outstanding votes from the metro Atlanta area, which would tend to favor, we think, John Ossoff. Teresa Tomlinson's strength has uh, primarily been mm-hmm. in her Columbus Basin in South Georgia, although she's had tremendous support from elected officials across the state. But you do have to wonder if uh, if they are Metro Atlanta absentee votes, if those were to accrue, won't accrue to Ossoff's benefit. And, and and you can't count Amico out either because because she is from Metro Atlanta. She's oh, from yeah. she's yeah. she's from yeah. my area of Cobb County. She did pretty well in DeKalb County uh, in 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 her race for lieutenant governor in 2018. I think if we if we're going to identify a theme of, of today, Bill, you know it's is you, you, we've had Mark Roundtree on the program before of Landmark Communications, mm-hmm. and he and I were talking on Tuesday. Uh, on, on, on Tuesday, or may, it might have been Monday about this, and and he ran some numbers on the early vote, voters that ended Friday. I mean, we we don't know we don't know yet who 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 the the total electorate is, but he he said that forty five percent of the people voting in the Democratic Party had not participated in a primary either in twenty eighteen or twenty sixteen. The figure was still high, but lower in, in on the GOP side twenty six. So that means almost half the Democratic voters had no no tie, no relationship with with Democratic incumbents uh, in this contest, and so you, you we've seen a lot of surprises. I was surprised that David Scott has been pulled, uh, the congressman out of the thirteenth, has been pulled into a runoff. Paul Howard, the Democratic uh, Attorney General in Fulton County, has been pulled into a runoff. Yeah, and I would add to that um, a number that I saw and just has stuck with me since I saw it. There was a poll that came out from NBC News uh, on Sunday, and it said that 80 percent of the country believes the United States is out of control. I think there's a deep sense of unease, of uncertainty. Um, obviously, there's a pandemic, the economy. Um, racial tensions, racial relations, um, deep disappointment in how things are going, um, sometimes on both sides of the aisle. And so I think we're also seeing an anti-incumbent um, uh, spirit pick up here. It certainly looks like a time for a political outsider. Somebody like Rich McCormick did way better than Renee Unterman did last, last night. Um, John Ossoff, just a, a nice squeaky clean record of, of no no votes cast, no you know, no blame to cast against him uh, for any anything that's going on right now. And so um, it's just a very unsettled electorate. It, it also makes it incredibly hard to poll that electorate if they have not been voting in recent elections because they don't pop up as likely voters. So um, we'll know a lot more about this state and who's voting here um, once this once we uh, move past the stay and, and can find do a little bit more um, polling as well. You know, Patricia, I, too, uh, as I think a lot of people were, was struck 
by that 80% number that you just referred to. I mean, we're used to seeing polling in which the standard language is right track, wrong, wrong track. Percentage of people yeah. who think the country's going in the right direction or the wrong direction. But 80% of the people say, not that, they say, it's out of control. That's a scary thought, Patricia. It's not, we're not talking about the track. We're talking about the world that the track is on. Um, And everybody's lives have been turned upside down. Nothing is normal anymore. Um, For some people, for Democrats, it's felt that way since uh, Donald Trump got to the White House. Um, Probably for people who voted for Donald Trump, they felt uncomfortable with the direction that country is heading for many years before that. Everything just seems very unsettled. There is no normal. And so election results will not be normal either. Yeah, and, and if I could right, jump Jim, in here, Bill. Uh, yeah, if, if on on if, on two this on Tuesday this influx of 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 new voters, you know, it, it did hurt a lot of Democratic incumbents. I, I mean, even in the state legislature, you you saw some state senators uh, uh, again drawn into, into drawn into runoffs. But I think. Today, as of today, the general election be- uh, campaigns begin in Georgia, and I think now those new voters are are, are they're something that Republicans need to worry about a great deal over the yeah. next next uh, five months. Uh, you know, Patricia, that's what brings me to your column uh, in Roll Call. Um, you uh, talk in in this particular piece, which I think you just put went up yesterday. Uh, you talk about the protesters in downtown Atlanta. You talk about how Keisha Lance Bottoms uh, addressed them in her as a mother, very uh, moving uh, comments. But but she ends up, and you quote her saying, "Look, this isn't the way destruction, destroying property, whatever, isn't the way to express your rage. You've got to vote." And and um, I think you make it clear in this column that. Uh, uh, the question becomes, will these people who have taken to the streets and whether you took to the streets or not, if you're angry about what you've seen in terms of police actions, that sort of thing, will that convert to voting? And the Galloway figures uh, suggest we might be heading in that direction. Well, and even you look at the lines of people voting last night, you don't wait in line for six hours because you don't care who your leaders are. I mean, this is a very... Um, intense time in people's lives. And um, I think one of the few things you can do to control your future is to vote. Um, Now, certainly we saw people um, uh, marching, in some cases becoming violent, because they don't feel like they're in control of their future. And, um, you know, that's one way to express that. I think Keisha Lance Bottoms was saying, the next thing you need to do is not to destroy your community, but to change your community. And one of the very few ways you can do that is to vote. And um, that was always the intellectual underpinning of the civil rights movement as well, um, was to say, take all of this anger and frustration and choose who leads you or become who leads you. Um, and so that that feels like the stakes to me of these elections. It's not just a Election day is fun and it feels like Christmas morning because I always think it feels like Christmas morning. Um, to me, it feels like this is about what the world looks like, what our children's lives look like. And it just feels very intensely important now. And that's what those lines were about to me last night. 
Jim, I want to go back to the uh, Democratic Senate race again for a minute, and I want to put you in Mr. Sherman's wayback machine. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, you're right. We, we don't know whether Sarah Amico or Teresa Tomlin, assuming, assuming, let's be do a hypothetical. Let's say Asaf doesn't quite break 50%. He faces a runoff with either Amico or Tomlinson, depending on how this shakes out. So the Wayback Machine takes us to 1998 when there was a Democratic primary. The two top uh, vote getters in that race were Roy Barnes, who ended up, of course, winning the mansion that year, and Louis Massey, a very popular, young, up and coming Democratic leader. Uh, Massey got, I think, 40 plus percent of that vote. He did re- uh, much better than either Tomlinson or Amico are doing at this point. And, and because Democrats were so concerned about consolidating their base, putting their energy into winning the mansion, Massey did something totally surprising. Well, we remember it well. He got up and gave a talk in which he announced he was withdrawing from the race and supporting Roy Barnes. That was a remarkable moment. And I wonder if there's going to be some pressure on Tomlinson and or Amico if we do have a runoff to do something quite similar because Democrats want to win that Purdue seat uh, so badly. Yeah, I mean, you, uh, I mean, we'll have two seats up. I mean, this state could could yeah. determine uh, uh, the, the the direction of the Senate come November. But uh, uh, the, uh, one of the first things we saw, I saw this morning was was a was a, a note from the Teresa Tomlinson campaign saying they think they've made the runoff and they're going to go after Ossoff on the as as the guy who can break fifty percent. Now we'll see what happens with the money. That's kind of where the key is. Is 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 does her money dry up if if she is if she is in that second second birth, uh, uh, but it, it's you know it, it is you know Chuck Bullock over at uh, the University of Georgia uh, always did those studies on 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 the dynamics of runoffs and you know the the first place finisher sometimes loses. But usually that's when the, that's when the first place finisher you know finishes you know forty four forty three forty two percent forty eight point six if he if he is within that mark there's going to be a lot of pressure to, uh, to for 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 the, the, the whoever occupies that second burst to give it up. It's going to be interesting to watch how that plays out, and we may not know for days. Uh, again, given the volume of absentee votes that are still outstanding. All right, let's do this. Let's take our final break of the show. And when we come back, we've got some more races uh, to talk about from yesterday's election. You're listening to Political Rewind. Quick program note uh, for you. Uh, We know that the unemployment rate in Georgia has reached record highs, almost 12 percent. And we'll find out. Uh, We'll get the latest uh, report on that uh, within the next 24 hours. Um, We also know that the state has been inundated with applications for unemployment insurance. They're scrambling to try to process them. And we know that the federal government supplement, the $600 supplement that states give for unemployment insurance, is going to run out in July. All that said, we're going to talk tomorrow to a man who's right in the middle of that, Mark Butler, the commissioner of the Department of Labor, and get his take on all of this. That's on tomorrow's Political Rewind. Okay, uh, Patricia Murphy, um, we talked a bit, you talked a minute ago about the 7th District congressional race, which was uh, 
of particular interest because you had competitive races on both the Republican and the Democratic side. Uh, Rich McCormick, uh, though, goes into uh, a, a general election battle with whoever the Democrat is. He beat uh, Renee Unterman and other Republicans uh, with more than 50 percent of the vote. No Republican runoff. Um, were you at all surprised that Renee Unterman? I was. I thought Renee Unterman might be uh, a, a stronger opponent. What do you think happened there? You know, I I was very surprised, to be honest with you, um, because she is well-known, very well-known in that district, um, got an enormous amount of press last year as a sponsor of the six-week six week abortion ban bill, um, which many Republicans championed her for, for taking the lead on that. Um, but I think that Republicans in that seventh district, looking ahead, Knowing that this race would be so competitive um, because Carolyn Bordeaux did come within 500 votes last year, I mean, last cycle um, of Rob Woodall, a concern that Renee Unterman might not be the strongest candidate in a in a close, competitive uh, swing district as that district has become. Somebody like Rich McCormick, an ER doctor and former Marine, um, again, with no um, no particular voting record to pick apart or, or take issue with, I think will be a very strong candidate um, for Republicans in that race. But I, I was frankly shocked. She, I think, got around um, 15, 16 percent of the vote in that primary, I thought she would, I certainly expected her to do a lot better because she's very well liked, um, certainly by the leadership in, in uh, Gwinnett County. Yeah, and, and she was uh, she was endorsed by Nathan Deal. Let's not forget that. And yeah. and, and, and I think mm. that I think that this goes. A, uh, yes, we have Karen Handel now as the, as the, as the nominee in the sixth district for for Republicans. But but Underman was I mean she was running kind of last year's theme was that this is going to be the year of the women, and and that she was she she was playing to that and 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 you've had a lot of Republicans buy into that. I think what we've seen, uh, especially on the Republican side, that that's that that's changed. They're not. I mean Kelly Leffler is struggling. Uh, Renee, uh, Renee Unterman, I mean, 17 percent in, in, in the current numbers. Uh, that's 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 incredible for a woman who's been a Cobb County commission commi- or a Gwinnett County commissioner, uh, mayor of Loganville, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, she's she's been around and on the ballot forever. Uh, and uh, the other surprise in this bill was on the Democratic s- side, uh, Zara Krinchek of of, uh, of of Duluth. Uh, uh, an up-and-comer Democrat. She won a Senate seat in 2018. Wanted to to parlay that into a congressional a congressional seat. She finished uh, a distant sixth, I think. I mean, it was it was it was it was uh, really a poor showing. And and she had the endorsement of her establishment. She she had the the Roy Barnes Buddy Darden crowd behind her. I'll put a quick pin on this race. What I found, I mean, of all of these surprises that we've already talked about. The turnout, when you look at that, there are 50,000 votes on the Democratic side and only 35,000 votes on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. And that does not happen in the seven. But to, to me, that was um, an example. I think that Bordeaux has quite a strong, um, quite a strong operation. She's well known um, and was able to deliver her voters, even though she may not have cleared 50 percent. And on the Republican side, Renee Unterman, for as much strength as we assumed her to have, there was not the organization there at all. Even, And I don't know where the Republican organization is, where they were last night, actually. 
So we, we th- right now, the way the votes have come in, it appears that uh, Bordeaux will face a runoff. Uh, at this moment, it looks as if it may be uh, Brenda Lopez, um, but, but uh, the Nabila Islam folks have put out an, an, a uh, statement today saying there are a lot of uncounted votes out there. Don't be so sure that's the way this thing is going to turn out. But, Patricia... We know the runoff is going to be between two female candidates. Maybe it is almost the year of the woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, it also, if you dig into the numbers, um, most women are Democratic voters. I, you know, it, it's very hard for uh, Republicans to recruit women to these um, high-profile seats. It's not certainly not impossible. There are plenty of Republican female voters, but um, the the female energy. It, right now is um, on the Democratic side. And, and obviously those races reflect that. Yeah, uh, if, if, if I could, Bill, let, let, let's have a quick word on, on, on the Republican races in the 14th and the 9th. Uh, in the 9th District, this is Doug Collins' seat that he's giving up, you had two kind of Republican establishment uh, uh, lawmakers, John Wilkinson and, and uh, uh, Kevin Tanner. They were defeated. The, the, the leader in that race now is Matt Gertler, who is the bomb thrower. Uh, in 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 the, in the state house right now, and then then a representative the, in, no, right right, and in the fourteenth, uh, Marjorie Marjorie Taylor Greene who campaigned with a an AR fifteen, uh, 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 and Facebook banned her ad. She she led. I think she got forty percent or so. She's 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 in a pretty good position right now. She doesn't even live in the district. Okay, but you've got to assume that even though what you're suggesting is that those candidates are pretty far to the right, that those are safe Republican districts. Safe, I don't safe think Republican Patricia seat, but they're not likely. But, to... but the establishment, uh, the, the 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 establishment took a hit in both uh, of those contests. Absolutely, fat right. Good. Glad you pointed that out. A couple other things I want to point out uh, that I thought was interesting. Um, first of all, we should say Stacey Evans, who, of course, lost the Democratic primary for governor to Stacey Abrams back in 2018. She ran for a House seat. She won outright. Stacey Evans will be back in uh, elected office. A uh, long time. You talk about incumbents who might be facing problems. Michelle Henson has served in the state house for Jim 20 plus year. I mean, a long, long time. She's been drawn into a runoff in House District 86. So it's been really interesting to see some of the... Pro- oh, and also Paul Howard, longtime district attorney in Fulton County, is going to be in a runoff with his former chief deputy, Fonnie mm-hmm. Willis. So that's going to be... Uh, all David, those are interesting returns. Did we talk about David Scott? Go ahead. It looks like David Scott may also yeah, be David going Scott. into a runoff. Yeah, against in, a woman. In a runoff the, with a former yeah. House member. Yes, it's the shortest FEC I've ever seen, the shortest report I've ever seen with one donor and $875 for Keisha Waits and her most recent filing. Un, I am so glad you brought that up. By the way, uh, very quickly, I've already gotten a lot of emails, a lot of notes from you saying uh, David Ralston says that there's a lot of fraud in absentee balloting. Uh, I hope you'll point out that that isn't, uh, hasn't been proven to be true. But, t- but the point is, this is an argument that he and others are going to make moving forward. And so it's interesting to hear his point of view. All right, that's it. We are out of time for today's show. Thank you for being with us. See you again for Political Rewind tomorrow. <laughs>